I woke up floating in the ocean face down and I couldn't move. I knew it was bad and without a doubt I was going to die. With the last remaining air in my lungs I screamed into the ocean. On November 15th, 2017, I was found by a stranger face down and unconscious in the water off Ocean Beach on the edge of San Francisco. He dragged me to the shore. My body was gray, I wasn't breathing, and I had no pulse. We'd probably have been dead for about 10 minutes. While body surfing, I'd hit my head and had fractured my neck and injured my spinal cord. Unbelievably, two other people walking along that almost empty beach had medical training and began attempts to save my life. I woke up two days later in an intensive care unit, alive but now paralyzed from the shoulders down. This is EM Pulse with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. Episode 19, The Last Touchpoint. The story you just heard is Dr. Matthew Wetchler's survival story. Matt is an emergency medicine physician in the Bay Area who also has a background in health policy, and his story is a powerful testament to modern medicine. Miracle care, an amazing turnaround, medical care at its best. It would be nice if it ended there. But unfortunately, Matt's recovery was marred by a complicated billing process. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about something so exciting. It encompasses all the reasons that we went into medicine, right? (laughs) (laughs) Surprise billing and its daughter balance billing. (laughs) But really, this is something we have to talk about because it's affecting our patients, our friends, our families. I mean, it even affects us. Yeah, it's so true. And it is such a complex topic that honestly, Sarah, we are not going to be able to do this total subject justice in the time we have together. And because this is such a difficult topic in such a short amount of time, we're going to work hard to just present our understanding of the issues based on Matt's story and expert opinion and our own readings. But it is important to remember that this is just our interpretation and the ideas here don't express the ideas of UC Davis. Also, this topic is particularly important to review on your own. Each state is different. Each practice is different. Each situation is honestly a little unique. So it's important that you take the time to review resources. We will have a list of resources in the show notes, and that's a good place to start. So let's pick up Matt's story with his first memories after waking up in the hospital. Apparently, I was conscious and interacting uh, during my time in the emergency room, but I started forming memories again about two days later in the ICU, and I had a severe central cord lesion, uh, broke my spinous process in C4, C5, 
and uh, no bony intrusion, but had hyperextended my spinal cord, a lot of swelling. And my clinical symptoms is I was a high-grade quadriplegic. And I spent about um, almost two months in rehabilitation, starting from being rolled and sponge bathed and having to blow into a straw and having a, a very remarkable and fortunate recovery where um, I was able to actually walk out with arm crutches uh, two months later and walk out on my own two feet. I was told by the docs that I think maybe one other person in 20 years has ever done that. So I feel very fortunate. The recovery started very slowly. My my legs began um, coming back first, but I, I really lacked a lot of proprioception. I was ready to do anything 110% with minimal instruction, which gave my physical therapist who I outweighed by about 110 pounds, a mild heart attack every time we were working <laughs> together. <laughs> you know, and so we had this joke, you know, because I, I basically was just 220 pounds of pure enthusiasm uh, <laughs> with no proprioception. So we called it the no pro rodeo. <laughs> you know, where my injury is now, I still lack some proprioception on the right side of my body. Um, and I have very limited light touch sensation in my hands and limited fine motor coordination in my hands. And so a lot of procedural skills are still out of my uh, kind of realm of ability at the moment. Um, but as far as getting around day to day, I'm, I'm functional and I'm independent and, and that's not a given. Obviously I accrued just a phenomenal amount of medical bills. I haven't totaled it all up, but I imagine it's easily able to be rounded to about a million dollars. Uh, you know, and I expected a lot of bills. I knew it was going to be complicated. And, you know, my family, my brother, my father, we would all sit down and, and just tear through, you know, the stack of envelopes that would pile in and had a three ring binder and a spreadsheet. And we're just using the full force of our organizational and intellectual capacity to kind of meet this thing head on. It was emergent care. It should absolutely be covered by my insurance. I was responsible and had insurance. And so kind of a faith that it would be dealt with. You know, 10 months later, uh, there were still unresolved bills, not to the degree of the initial bill, um, but significant, you know, getting up to maybe $35,000, $40,000, which is a small fraction of, you know, nearly a million dollars. But I mean, to an individual, you know, myself living on a small amount of disability, not able to make an income, I mean, financially devastating, you know, and I would wake up and to the phone calls of debt collectors and they would be very aggressive trying to get you to transfer the balance onto a high interest rate credit card. And then I would call either my insurance company or try to reach the hospital system and uh, people either were unable to provide help or would reassure that things were taken care of and uh, I would never hear back from them. And then a month later, the bill would come back um, or the debt collector would call again. And so just the amount of anxiety and vulnerability that I experienced over the last several months, I mean, emotionally, it was more difficult to deal with the payment of my care than my injury. Paying for my medical treatment was more painful than recovering from paralysis. We wanted to know what in the world could be worse than paralysis? What part of billing was worse than this? And so this is where we get a little 
technical into um, what you might experience should you ever get injured and also what uh, for those providers out there, what your patients are going through. And so if someone is cared for out of network, uh, it's likely that the hospital or physician group will charge an exorbitant rate, usually three to four to five X what Medicare would reimburse. They charged 500,000 for care that was worth by Medicare, maybe 130 to 150,000. And so like a three X, a three X increase in rate because I was seen as out of network. So now um, because it was emergent care, my insurer will cover it. And so they charge Oscar, uh, my insurance company, the full 500,000. Oscar looks at that bill and says, that's ridiculous. We're not paying that. Here is 150,000 or 130,000 what Medicare would pay. And you know, the hospital says like, oh, but we want more money. Like, we're not going to accept that. And Oscar says, well, tough luck. You know, we're not going to pay anymore. And so the hospital says, fine, we'll just charge Matt. And so they take the balance and they bill the patient. And so that idea is balance billing. So I wasn't familiar with this term before I kind of got caught up on all this. But balance billing is a huge issue. And it's actually become a strategy of some provider side entities, whether that's a hospital or a physician group. And where it comes up a lot is in hidden charges. And so you may actually seek out an in-network hospital to get care, but one of the physician groups in that hospital may be out of network. Most commonly, actually emergency physicians, uh, anesthesiologists, and radiologists. And so you'll do your best to kind of stay in network. And then all of a sudden you'll get this 4X, 5X charge from a rogue physician group that's seen as out of network. And so it's this hidden bill. And it became such a problem that some states, California included, actually made it illegal. And so for emergent care in California, it's illegal to balance bill patients. So bringing back to my story Essentially, I was being balance billed first for the hospital fees. So you're usually going to get charged from the facility itself. And then the physician groups will bill you separately. And so the story isn't really that, you know, a, an insurance company is trying to, you know, swindle me. It's more that there was a violence through inaction, through the emergent bureaucratic complexity that comes with how we pay and the least empowered person, the person with the least leverage is the patient. And even uh, being someone that has spent 10 years of my life trying to gain expertise in the healthcare system, I was still disempowered in just a small voice in this very large and relatively unresponsive system. All right, let's talk about balance billing. I like how the AMA issue brief defines balance billing. Balance billing happens when a patient's health insurance company pays an out-of-network physician or other healthcare provider less than the amount the physician actually charged for the care. Because the physician and the health plan have not agreed upon payment through a contract, the physician then bills the patient for the remainder of the costs. Yeah, and in my opinion, balance billing is a symptom of the complexity of the healthcare system. So billing is now unbundled. Charges come from the hospital, the emergency medicine physician, the radiologist, the lab, and the list goes on. And each insurer and plan has a different way to pay this back. And more importantly, the system is not transparent. You know, Sarah, in nearly every other consumer market, people expect to be told a price of a good or a service up front. Then they can make an informed decision about agreeing to pay or negotiating or seeking the goods or service elsewhere. 
But in the U.S. health market, it's not like that. So there are often surprises. Dr. Tom Sugarman is the chair of emergency medicine at Sutter Hospital Antioch and has been heavily involved in advocacy since he was elected to the Cal ASAP board in 2008. Tom explains to us a little bit more about surprise billing. Balance billing and surprise billing are not really the same thing. Balance billing has a fairly common, agreed-upon technical definition. Surprise billing is a relatively new term, which gets a lot of attention, and there's been a lot of press about it, and means a number of different things. So stepping back to balance billing, when somebody has commercial insurance, again, employer-based insurance or off-the-exchange plan, but not Medicare or Medicaid or an indigent program, then if they go to an out-of-network facility or they see an out-of-network provider, then the bill gets sent to the insurance company. The doctor says, I believe this service was worth X, or the hospital says, I believe it's worth X. And the insurer says, well, we think it's worth Y. And the Y, what the insurance company is willing to pay is called the allowable. Charge is the charge. The difference between the charge and the allowable, that's the balanced bill. And so if you're out-of-network, then typically the hospital or the doctor would then send you a bill saying, we charge you, for example, $100. The insurance company decided that it was worth only $80. And so you have to pay the difference between the $100 and the $80, the $20, and that's the balance bill. Surprise billing really has no formal technical definition. And I think in common parlance, just using English, it means the patient gets a bill that he or she is surprised they got. There's a number of different reasons that they can be surprised. One, of course, is the balance bill. And that, again, is the discrepancy between the charge and the allowed amount, the amount the insurance thinks that the service is worth. And although the insurance companies would like to sell this picture, that it's only because doctors are charging too much, many times, and most of the time, in, in my experience, it's because the insurance company is offering absurdly low rates, so they're not actually allowing enough to be there. But there are some other reasons, too, that people get surprised. And over the last four or five years since uh, Obamacare went into effect, we've seen increasing movement towards high deductible, high copay plans. And so as patients' deductibles go up, they don't always realize that. And suddenly any bill they get, they're surprised by because it it's not covered by their deductible. So if you go to the emergency department and you think you have insurance for that, even if you're in network and your deductible is $5,000, it's probably not going to cover any of it if it's, not a, if it's not a visit where you're admitted for. Worse yet, if you go out of network, your deductible is oftentimes twice the in-network deductible, even for emergencies. So that's one area, high deductibles. The second area is that there are oftentimes non-covered issues which get commingled in this. So a lot of newspaper articles you've seen are about things like air ambulances or a rare drug or pharmaceutical costs. Like there was an article in Indiana last week about anti-venom for snake bites. And, and that's not really has anything to do with doctor's fees or even hospital fees. And then a third issue is a lot of these surprise bills are facility bills. So going back to the story, Matt's story, yeah, that was definitely a surprise bill. But most of that problem was not doctor bill. Some of it was, but most of it was actually the facility bill. And typically in the paper, when you hear people really talking about how they want to pass laws banning uh, surprise bills, they're aiming that at physicians. And physicians don't really control how much the hospital costs or charges. And then lastly, there's inadequate networks, especially in emergency care, where all emergency department physicians are very proud to take care of people without regard to the ability to pay. 
And under Amtala, we do that. Insurers take advantage of that. They know that we are not going to ask what kind of insurance you have before we take care of the patient. And so we've already taken care of the patient. And then the insurance company comes around later on and says, oh, we don't think your service is worth very much at all. And the reason they're able to do that is because they don't bother contracting because nobody takes a terrible contract. So they just simply don't contract and they force everybody out of network and they force the physicians out of network. So inadequate networks is a fourth reason for surprise billing. Well, you're touching on the complexity of this issue because we're talking about state regulated plans, federally regulated plans. We're talking about emergency care by emergency medicine doctors. We're talking about emergency care by other specialists. And we're also sometimes talking about non-emergency care by other specialists. So for example, you go to the hospital for your elective hip replacement and you have a choice to go in network or out of network. And if you go out of network, you usually sign permission for that ahead of time. But now there's a complication. And so now you have something unexpected and it becomes not really an emergency because you're not going to the emergency room because you're already in the hospital. And so they cover that. So what we're trying to do is in these bills, we're trying to break down and discuss unanticipated care from anticipated care. The idea being that if you have unanticipated care, the patient does not really have the opportunity, nor should they be looking in their little provider handbook to figure out who's in network and out of network. And they should be fully covered just as if they were in network. On the other hand, we want patients to have the ability to say, look, I'm perfectly willing to go see the world's most preeminent physician in this field, I understand that they're not in my network and I understand I'm going to have to pay extra for that. So we don't want to limit their ability to see those people. So divide it up by unanticipated care, anticipated care, and then logistically, it depends if you're in network or out of network. And different versions of different bills address some or all of those problems. As Tom said, this is complicated and surprise bills have many different reasons Some surprise bills are because insurance companies hid the details of the plan in the fine print, or the patients just didn't read them all the way through, or maybe the patient wasn't even aware of what they were actually picking, so therefore the bill was a surprise. Some bills are a surprise because there was no reasonable way the patient could have anticipated this was going to happen. For example, a patient who has severe right lower quadrant pain researches which hospital is in network and then goes there, gets their CT scan done, but they get hit with a large bill because the hospital and the surgeon is in network, but they didn't know the radiologist who read their CT scan was out of network. Chances are that patient would never find out until they got the bill. Yeah, and I find this especially confusing as a physician. So I don't know for my own patients who is in network and who is out of network of our specialists. And I don't know the complexities of each patient's insurance plans and what they would pay for each of these. It's so opaque. This issue has been in the national and local news a lot. I feel like every few months, another story of a patient languishing without care or getting hit with an exorbitant bill comes across my feed, Sarah. Yeah, and this is because some studies have shown that up to one in five emergency visits can lead to surprise bills. You know, another study suggests that it's actually a smaller proportion of hospitals that generate the majority of these surprise bills. And so some people blame insurances for not paying doctors appropriate rates and not contracting with providers, creating the culture of balance billing. 
while others argue it is also to the advantage of the physician who provides unanticipated care, such as the emergency medicine physician, the radiologist or pathologist, to be out of network because they can charge higher rates to the patient without actually losing patients. Right. So what are some possible solutions? Well, on May 9th, 2019, President Trump released his quote-unquote principles to end surprise medical billing. The four main points are... First, patients receiving emergency care should not be forced to shoulder extra costs billed by a care provider that is not covered by their insurer. Second, patients receiving scheduled care should have clear information about whether providers are in or out of their network and what costs they may face. Third, no patient should have to pay surprise bills from out-of-network providers that they did not choose. Fourth, federal health care expenditures should not increase. So President Trump has asked a bipartisan group of legislators to bring a bill to him this summer. They said at the announcement that they plan to have a bill by July. And of course, immediately afterwards, America's Health Insurance Plans, which is a trade group that represents U.S. health insurers, said in response, it supports prohibiting doctors from sending patients surprise bills in cases of emergency and requiring facilities to inform patients of their doctor's insurance network status. So doctors point the finger at insurance companies. And insurances point the fingers right back. (laughs) So what does Tom see as a proposed solution? I was actually in Washington just a couple days ago with the American College of Emergency Physicians visiting Congress on surprise billing. And what we're asking for in Washington is a pretty simple solution at the high level. And then the details are very, very complex. So at the high level, what we're saying is, number one, take the patients out of the middle. So this is a dispute between the doctors and the insurance company, and let's get the patients out of that. Number two, we're saying to solve that dispute, let's use arbitration as long as there are appropriate safeguards in arbitration to ensure that providers are paid fairly so they can continue providing the services for the patient. Thirdly, we want to level the playing field on deductibles. We want out-of-network emergency care and in-network emergency care to have the same deductible. And ideally, the deductible and copay should be paid entirely by the insurance company, and then they can bill the patient for that. Right now, when somebody goes to the emergency department, they get four or five bills and they have to sort out where the deductible and the copay applies. The doctors have to sort that all out. The hospital has to sort that out. And the only people who really know about that are the insurance company. So in our mind, the insurance company should simply collect the four or five claims, radiology, emergency department doctor, hospital fee, the lab fee, and maybe the physical therapy fee. And they say to the patient, overall, your deductible is this, your copay is this, you pay that to us. And then the insurance company pays the doctors and all the other, the hospital and the physical therapist, the appropriate amount of money. So that's the solution we're proposing. We think it would increase transparency. It would take patients out of the middle and it would ensure ongoing good quality access to emergency care. You know, one of the things that Tom emphasized in our conversation and that ASEP also emphasizes is the importance of adequate networks. Tom says insurance coverage without providers is worthless. Systems need to ensure a robust safety net or more hospitals will close and doctors will not be available. Really, the problems of surprise and balance billing drill down to the adequacy of those networks. So what can we do? How can physicians be a part of the solution? Both Tom and Matt had some ideas. I think our role 
as physicians in terms of advocating for the health of our patients and our community is to try to work towards a system where we have high quality care accessible to everybody and everybody knows what it's going to cost and that it's affordable. And that's a long road ahead of us. And so I think we have to keep on working at that. I don't know uh, if it's really our place to be advocates for the awareness of balance billing on the fly in the emergency room. This is not realistic. I don't think that's a great point of leverage. It's frustrating because we're not given the resources to have the bandwidth to be able to consider these things in the already overburdened clinical setting that we exist in. And so it's challenging for us to make it a priority. For those who this story frustrates you, you don't want this for your patients, learning about balance billing, uh, learning what the protections are in your state, and seeing who's involved with it. And seeing if there's a way that you can bring your stories to the table to help advocate for more robust legal protection for patients. I mean, that's a very doable, accessible, and current um, and very contemporary point of leverage that we have right now. And so I do think there's things to do and it's not all lost. Uh, though, you know, it is, it is complicated, but we got to start somewhere. Talk to your local societies for example, ASEP offers a sample commitment that they want their members to sign. They ask emergency medicine physicians to commit to engaging in good faith efforts to make contracts, accept reasonable out-of-network reimbursement, streamline and simplify billing, work with patients to create payment schedules, watch out for balanced billing, and promote efforts to preserve the emergency medicine safety net. What if you find yourself as a patient in this spot? What can you do? So on an individual case-by-case -case basis, when you get a big bill or a bill that you didn't expect, there's a few things you can do. The first thing you can do is you can make sure that you have a detailed assessment of what the bill is. Don't allow it to all just be one big number. Ask what the breakdown is. The second thing is you start with your insurance company and ask why it is what it is. Make sure they process it correctly because there's all kinds of stories where insurance companies may not process it correctly. The third thing is then go to the hospital or the physician group or whatever and ask them to explain what happened and why the bill is like that. And many physician groups uh, will offer discounts if you have economic hardship or if you give an explanation. A lot of times they'll offer a payment plan or even discount the fees. So you have to ask questions again on the phone to do that. It's unfortunate you have to invest your time in that. But in the current system, until this all gets fixed, that's the best methodology. For patients, you know, I think that just an awareness of balance billing and that there is legal protection, I think that's very important and very useful. And this is most relevant uh, for emergent care because it's, you don't get the choice whether or not to go to an in-network in or out-of-network hospital, you know, especially if you're incapacitated um, in some way. So I think that's a that's a starting point for patients. Pulse check. One of the reasons we go into emergency medicine is to be able to treat anyone, no matter their station in life, their condition, or their insurance. And that's where I'd like to stop, right? Leave it there. Treat my patients. Do what I think is right and go home. But that's not where it ends. The last touch point we as a health system have with the patient is not us saying goodbye or filling their medications, but billing. Balanced billing happens when a patient's health insurance company pays an out-of-network physician or other health care provider less than the amount the physician charges for the care. 
Because the physician and the health plan have not agreed upon payment through a contract, the physician then bills the patient for the remainder of the costs. Surprise billing is a broad term that encompasses balance billing. Other surprises may include high deductibles or copays, multiple doctor bills, air ambulances or other non-covered services, or inadequate networks. What's the solution? Well, let's start with increased transparency and decreased complexity. Let's stop pointing fingers at each other with the patient in the middle. As a physician, talk to your local societies. For example, ASEP offers a sample commitment that they want their members to sign. They ask emergency medicine physicians to commit in engaging in good faith efforts to make contracts, accept reasonable out-of-network reimbursement, streamline and simplify billing, work with patients to create payment schedules, and watch out for balanced billing and promote efforts to preserve the emergency medicine safety net. As a patient, ask questions, double-check, and read the fine print. This is a super complex and controversial topic, and many of you will have questions and strong opinions on the subject, which we welcome. So share your thoughts with us on social media at Impulse Podcast or on our website, ucdavisem.com. We also have another conference coming up. It's the UC Davis Emergency Medicine Update Hot Topics 2019 in Honolulu, Hawaii, November 5 through 9. It's going to be at the Kahala Hotel and Resort this year. Find out more in the show notes. And thank you to our department for asking questions. And thank you to OM Audio Productions for always having the answers that we need. Also, last but not least, thank you to Scott Fitzloff for allowing us to use the audio that you heard at the beginning of this podcast. You can hear more at Matt's website, MatthewWeschler.com. And now we'll leave you with the conclusion of Matt's story. You know, it wasn't whether it would get paid. It's just that it's taken almost the better part of a year to do it to the point that it was sent to debt collectors. That's what's inexcusable. Um, And so the debt collectors have been called off. I no longer get those phone calls. They're in dialogue. I feel confident they'll be resolved. One, mostly because I know that I'm protected legally for living in California. That's not the case in a lot of other states. And so I don't, now that it's being negotiated, I I don't have a lot of stress about it. So it's kind of a happy ending. Um, But still, I think brings to light a struggle and a challenge that many patients will face. And, you know, what we don't think about as providers is the last touch point a patient has with the healthcare system is payment. And we shouldn't underestimate the role that the financial repercussions of our care have on people in determining whether or not they suffer in their experience of illness. Most of my suffering came from the anxiety of payment. You know, I did not suffer that much because of my injury. In fact, my injury I found to be one of the most, um, you know, it provoked one of the most sustained periods of positivity, optimism, levity, presence, and focus that I've ever had in my life. Emotionally, it was a really valuable gift. Almost all of the negativity that I've experienced with my illness came from dealing with the healthcare system. Mm -hmm.